Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. The spiritual leadership being exhibited by Christ in this moment is absolutely staggering. Have you ever heard someone pray and it sounded more like a spiritual shopping list than anything? In John chapter 17 in the New Testament of the Bible, we have Jesus' prayers recorded and they are something else. His focus was not on himself, but for teaching and empowering the disciples and believers. He prayed with such authority, we would do well to have a look at his prayer and ponder for a while. So I invite you to stay tuned as we unpack Christ's pastoral prayer. Good morning. Let's take our seats. And it would only be appropriate if in dealing with this message, we prayed, as you'll see in a moment. So let's pray. Father, help us now as we open your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would open us up, that, Father, we would hear your voice. May the Spirit of God speak through your word now into our souls. Give us ears to hear. But, Lord, most importantly, give us hearts to respond. I pray for those who are joining with us now via live stream and those who are watching over YouTube and for those who are joining with us via radio or podcast, that no matter where they are, no matter what time they get to hear this, that, Father, you would speak to them as well. May your word build them up, strengthen them, and give them a grander vision of who Christ is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been looking through this section of John. It's the, it's the largest section in the Gospel of John. He devotes several chapters to this, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and chapter 17. So five chapters are devoted to one evening. And that was the evening where Jesus takes his disciples into the upper room. And in that upper room, Christ has some things to say. And we've seen that he has warned them. This is what's going to happen to me. If it happens to me, the similar thing will happen to you. But Jesus doesn't want his disciples to become despondent, even though he detects he, he sees that. In fact, we see in this, what we call this upper room farewell discourse, Jesus tells them, don't be sorrowful. There's no need to be sorrowful. I, I, can't, I can't fully explain everything to you, but it, the, the time will come when you will understand what I'm saying to you, but you, you won't be able to appreciate it right now. We've seen that Jesus has washed their feet he has sent judas out and the text is very poignant in that the moment satan entered into judas it says the moment he entered into judas that jesus then sent judas out and so what we what we see here is christ now dealing with the disciples in a way that is going to encourage them for what is about to happen to them. And what is about to happen to them? He tells them, you will be scattered. They will come after me, and when they do, you will be scattered. But I'm telling you, I will protect you. You will be okay. And then to add to that reassurance, he, promised, he promises them that the Father would send the Holy Spirit. It's that promise of the Holy Spirit coming to them that in time they would take great heart from. It would be the Holy Spirit who would come and fill them with his strength, fill them with 
the wisdom they would need to be able to navigate what was about to happen. And it was the Holy Spirit who would inspire many of them to write the account of the life and ministry and teaching of Christ in the Gospels itself. And so then we come to the the culmination of this upper room discourse, this farewell discourse. It's actually profound. It's profound for several reasons, because Christ finishes instructing his disciples. They're all there almost in stunned silence. They've just had this exchange in the end of chapter 16 where they said, now we get it. But Jesus says, not quite. You don't really, but you will. Because you say you believe in me, but your belief only goes so far. And of those 11 there, uh, 10 would be scattered. One, John himself, would follow Christ even to the cross. And perhaps he could do that because he was not seen as a perhaps a threat to either the, the temple authorities or to the Romans. Because he would have only been maybe 16 years of age at this stage. And so Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven. He lifts his hands, probably in typical Jewish prayer posture, to heaven as well. And Jesus then begins to pray. And this is a great example of how prayer can encourage those who are listening. There's a lot to learn here from the prayer of Christ. Let's see if we can... If we can learn what perhaps Christ was trying to teach his original disciples, but we have a clue in this prayer that he prayed this with a view to it being recorded for us. Because he says, I have many who are not yet who will be. And that's us. Here we are all the way around the, literally around the other side of the world. And so we have this Upper room farewell discourse being culminated with a prayer. Now, this is amazing. I'll tell you why I find this incredible. Jesus knew that within minutes of leaving that upper room and going down through the Kidron Valley over that footbridge up uh, the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, probably where he had spent many a night in that garden. And Judas would have known the place, as will become obvious soon. But in this moment, he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew that they were going to come after him with Roman soldiers, temple authorities. They were going to put him in chains and manacles. And then shortly after that, they would present him to Pilate, who would have him whipped and beaten, and mocked, and punched, and slapped. He knew all that. And despite the circumstances that he was about to face, hear his prayer for the glory of his Father and the protection of his disciples. This is a great example of how we might understand spiritual leadership. The spiritual leadership being exhibited by Christ in this moment is absolutely staggering because he's not praying for his circumstances to change. He's not praying for his own 
life. He's actually concerned about those that he is shepherding. And this is a great example of what Jesus actually said he was, the good shepherd. So if you can get this, it's a, it's a, I think it's, it, look, I find this personally a great challenge that even though we might be going through agony, anguish, depression, whatever it might be, to be able to lift our eyes up, up, and to lift our hands up. And Paul tells men, lift up your holy hands. And here we have the example, the preeminent example of Jesus doing this. So this, I, I really want you to see that this is one of the main points that we are to, to understand. Not only that, what Christ prayed was also a part of his revelation to his disciples. What they would have heard is Jesus absolutely affirming his identity. What was his identity? The Son of God, the Son of Man, his most commonly used self-description. And that expression, the Son of Man, taken from Daniel chapter 7, and by the way, from much of the intertestamental Jewish literature, which looked forward to the Messiah coming and described him in the same terms as Daniel as the Son of Man. You'll see that particularly in the book of Enoch. And Christ is now affirming that he is God, the Son, equal in authority and honor and worthy of the same worship and praise as the Father. And so th this is what we're going to see in this prayer. What we're also going to see in this prayer is that he, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be brutalized and eventually crucified. And yet, that while that would have looked like his defeat and to the world their victory, while in the world's mind it looked like their utter humiliation of Christ, in Christ's framing of the events, it was his glory. It was the moment of his glory. And so we have the perspective of the world and then the perspective of Christ. And Christ wants his disciples to see the world through his perspective. That when it at times will look hopeless, that's the world's perspective. For the believer, things are never hopeless because Christ has a different perspective. And of all people, John knew this. So Christ is going through this prayer is going to help his disciples to reframe what happened to him. So we pick it up in John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So even in knowing what was going to happen, the heart, the passion, the ministry of Jesus was not for his own glory, but for the glory of his Father. I want that to be my prayer, my longing as well, that my heavenly Father will be glorified through the way I live, the way I interact, the way I handle setback, disappointment, and even humiliation. That's my prayer. I hope you join me in that prayer and believe that 
God might have you do something similar to want to give him glory. No matter what you're going through, let's look to our Lord for his example. Verse 2, Jesus prays, continues to pray, Since you have given him authority over all flesh, the disciples would have heard that very clearly. Jesus is saying he is Lord to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And now Jesus is going to define what eternal life is. And we often think of it as this, this cute little quote, going to heaven. That's really not the biblical picture of salvation, going to heaven. Salvation is about having eternal life so that you can have an eternal relationship with your Creator, an eternal relationship of intimacy with God. And so Jesus defines what eternal life is. He doesn't say it is pick a religion, any religion will do, as long as you're religious, you'll be okay with my Father. He just doesn't say that. What Jesus says is, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And right there, Jesus is saying, there is no other way to be made right with God than to come to me and let me be your substitute to take away your sin, guilt and shame and to exchange all of that for my righteousness, my perfection, my holiness. Without my righteousness, my perfection, my holiness, you cannot enter into a relationship of knowing God the Father. If you haven't done that, at the end of this presentation, I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer which reveals you are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away. One prayer away from being made right with God. A prayer that says, Father, I come to you now and I ask that you would give me this eternal life because Jesus offered it to me. He offered to take away my sin, my guilt, my shame, my failings, my mistakes and to exchange it for his righteousness, his perfection and his holiness. And Father God, I want that. I want to accept that offer right now. That's what I'm going to invite you to pray when I'm done. But right now, let's return to this, knowing that the Jews of the day, they had a concept of what it was to be made right with God, which is that word righteousness, because it came from being obedient to the law. If you just kept the external obedience to the law, if you just looked like you're religious, surely that's all God wants. And in this prayer, we see that is not what God wants at all. He wants your heart because he wants to know you. That concept of know in the Jewish understanding is to be intimate with. Jesus continues to pray, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so the disciples would have heard Jesus say, before the world existed. He is the pre-existent, eternal Son of God. It makes sense, really. If God is the eternal Father, there's only one thing you need to be an eternal Father, and that's an eternal Son, an eternal child. And Christ was and always is and continues to be that eternal Son. We're going to see here that Jesus is going to use the expression 
the name of the Lord. And it's going to sound like it's a magic formula or a magic word, but it's not. It represents all that God is. It represents his character, his identity. This is what we learn about God by the names that he's ascribed and the names he takes upon himself. And Jesus says this, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people. In other words, I've revealed who you really are, whom you gave me out of the world. And there's that word world, meaning not this planet, but the system of rebellion against God. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There's another powerful word that Jesus is using in this prayer. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. So Jesus is saying, they now know that I am in an intimate relationship with you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, Jesus is not saying, I'm not praying for people who aren't going to be my disciples. I'm not praying for those who are right now trapped and ensnared and in bondage in the world system. Far from it. Jesus has already said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he's offering this freedom, this eternal life, this peace with God to those who are trapped in bondage to the world and its ways. And he's described the enemy as doing all he can to keep people in that bondage. And he described the enemy of our souls in John chapter 10 as the one who has come to steal kill and destroy and if you serve the evil one he will not be your friend he will never be your friend he will destroy you and want you to die and miss out for eternity on having your sins forgiven and receiving the gift of righteousness and the gift of perfection and the gift of holiness that only jesus can offer and don't be deceived don't be hoodwinked by him Jesus said, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And there's that intimacy. The disciples are hearing this. No one ever prayed like this. No one ever spoke like this. No one ever talked about loving God to the point of such an, a closeness and an intimacy like this. But this is how Jesus is praying. Jesus is saying that they may be one. There is an intimacy, a unity that comes, not by us working at it, but by us coming into relationship together with God the Father. Our unity with each other as Christ's church Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, is based on our union with God the Father. And so in verse 12, we see Jesus continues, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And note this, he is saying this, and, and in a moment, John will refer back to this prayer. So Christ is referring to he's fulfilled the scriptures 
That should tell us something about the power of the Bible, which is a synonym for the word the scriptures. He was aware that the scriptures were divinely inspired and divinely authorized. And there are some people who question whether we can really turn and trust the Bible. Jesus did. He says in verse 13, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Christ doesn't want us to cloister, to hide from the world, to go and build a, perhaps a, a monastery that never does any good for the world. But he says, but that you may keep them from the evil one. There is a spiritual battle going on right now over your soul, over my soul, and over the souls of everyone in our city and our valley. They are not of the world, Jesus describing his disciples, just as I am not of the world. So the ability to fulfill Christ's prayer for his church is based on us, heeding the same scriptures that Christ heeded. We need to know God's word. It is in God's word that we have the power to fulfill the prayer of Christ, which is the word of truth. And Jesus says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We could say your scriptures are truth. Your Bible, all 66 books of the Bible is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world he's sending us into the world to share the word of god with people to do it winsomely to be his representatives filled with joy and filled with the holy spirit so christ is now praying for our those of us who say yes i follow jesus he's saying well i'm praying for you that you will be effective in your here's the word evangelism evangelism simply means to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to take away sin, guilt and shame and to exchange that which the prophets called filthy clothes, filthy rags with his righteousness, his perfection and his holiness. Christ is praying for his church to come. That's you and I to be effective in our evangelism. And he goes on and prays and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that is his prayer for you and for me, those who will believe, and I trust you are one of them. Have you turned to Christ? Have you surrendered to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your soul? Have you sensed the Holy Spirit calling you, calling you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord your substitute and your saviour? If you have, he's just prayed for you. We've just read it in John chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. And he goes on and he says, and this is where some people think, oh, well, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not really into the church. The church, yeah, I don't know about church. Listen to what Jesus prayed. And if you want to be a part of the prayer that Jesus prayed, church is not an optional extra. Listen to it that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. In other words, by you connecting to a local community of believers and being in unity with them, Jesus said, this will have a dramatic impact in the spiritual realm. The world will now know this could only be God. And isn't it? When we see people come together as the church, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different languages, and perhaps even different religious backgrounds, we see what Jesus was praying. He goes on, verse 22, The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There can be no question, there can be no misunderstanding here. Jesus is at the heart of what he is saying for his believers is the church. A church governed by leadership, gifted leaders, governed by those who serve and care as shepherds. A church where people help each other, care for each other, pray for each other, and do what they can as a family together. And Jesus prays that this might be one of the most powerful witnesses of his church. That, but, but hear the standard for unity? I'm praying that they will be one just as you, Father, and I are one. My goodness me. We cannot do that in our own strength. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would help us to do it. Jesus goes on, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Man, it's in the church that we have the, the potential to be loved and to express the love of Christ. And it's my prayer, just, just as others have prayed, inviting people to turn to Christ, that my Saviour will be your Saviour too, that you will come to know Christ as your Saviour, just as I did when I was 15 years of age, when I turned to Christ. And now my heart has been so transformed I love his church. I serve in his church. I gladly give my life to make him known and to know him and to help others know him. I want to be a part of the answer to that prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And there's the identity of Christ again. He, his life did not begin in Bethlehem. His life did not begin when the Virgin Mary conceived him. His life traces back well before anything. He is the eternal Son of God. Before the foundation of anything, Christ was there in equal glory with the Father. And he prays that we, his followers, his disciples, would come to that place in the next life where we would fully apprehend and comprehend his glory. Oh, may we have a foretaste of it in this life and long for it.
in this life to see what he's praying here. Jesus continues to pray, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. If you do not feel loved, you are one prayer away from feeling a love that you could never possibly comprehend, never possibly appreciate. And it's the love that God has for you. You are loved. John tells us in his gospel that for God so loved the world. That's you and I. That's everyone past, present and future who will ever live. That for love's sake, he sent his only son, eternally begotten son into the world to be our saviour. It's a glorious love. And so the prayer that Jesus has prayed reveals his ultimate authority. He has the same authority as the Father. He's willingly submitted to his Father to come and to be the substitute, the Lamb of God for all people. And now he offers you the sacrifice that he has achieved to be your atonement. That is to pay the price for your eternal damnation so that it can be avoided and you can have instead eternal life. So this prayer that Jesus has just prayed would have revealed to the disciples that the cross was not Christ's defeat or his humiliation. The world viewed Christ's death on the cross as his ultimate defeat, but Christ viewed it as his door to ultimate victory and triumph. The world viewed Christ as defeated and humiliated on the cross, but Christ viewed it as his hour of glory. This prayer that Jesus has just prayed revealed his completely different perspective on what the future was to look like. The world said, ah, we've killed him. That's the end of him and his followers. And behind that were the forces of darkness and evil. And yet Jesus had a different plan. He had a different perspective. And right now, no matter what your perspective is on your life right now, Christ offers you a different perspective. If you choose to follow him, he will give you a brand new life. I want to pray for you. I want you to join me with this prayer. If you want what Christ is offering right now, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray for all those who are joining with me now by YouTube, by Facebook, by podcast, by radio, by live stream, however it is, that right now in their heart they would turn to you and say, Father God, I want the gift of forgiveness that you are now offering me. I want the gift of the relationship that you are now offering me because Jesus Christ came and paid the price as my substitute, as a sacrifice substitute in my place. Father, I receive that gift of new life that Jesus said he would give to all those who put their trust in him. And Father God, I pray for those who are joining with me now that everyone listening to the sound of my voice now would hear the voice of Jesus, not mine. 
and that they would say to Jesus, Yes, I want you to be my Saviour. I want you to be my Lord. And Father, I pray for your people as well, those who know you, those who, like me, have chosen to follow you, that you would help us to make you known and to know you more closely. I pray, Lord, for your people, that we would be effective, just as Jesus prayed, in making you known to those who are trapped in the bondage of the enemy in this world, and that, Lord, you would help us to proclaim the truth that, as Jesus said, it would be the truth that would set you free. Help us as your church, your people, to be faithful ambassadors to you. Help us, even in this city, to be one, so that the world may know you have sent Jesus into the world. Now, Lord, may we know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel Part 22 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Christ had a different perspective about what was to happen. Where the world saw defeat, Christ saw victory. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again, same time next week, for another Finding Truth Matters.